Good evening. <coughs> As usual, to do a bit of Chazor on what we learned two weeks ago. This time I'll be slightly more careful. I've had a lot of trouble. <laughs> almost uh, a libel case against me from the plastic rain hats <laughs> manufacturers. I will try to be... The men the ladies? <laughs> the ladies. I will try to be as careful as I can. Um, we'll do, we're going to do Chazor now. And we'll discuss, we're going to discuss the, uh, the things like that in a moment. We'll discuss things like that in a moment. So let's just quickly do Chazor and please uh, bear with me. We discussed last week the area of Hitzah which is described in Allah as Atsule Tinuf or Atsule Gufa. Areas, things that are worn to prevent oneself or one's clothes from becoming stained or dirty, or things that are being worn to protect the body. And we went through a whole list of examples, whether they are, which, which ones are mutter, which ones are, are, are osa. So Atsule Tinuf, something which is worn just to protect oneself from getting stained, dirty, is forbidden to be worn or carried in Shabbos, unless it's a proper garment, unless it's a true malbush, a true garment. So you can wear an overcoat, even though you're wearing it in order to stop your suit from getting stained by the rain, that's fine, because you're wearing an overcoat. Wearing an overcoat is wearing, wearing is no problem. A true malbush, a true garment is not a problem of carrying a Shabbos. (coughs) We're discussing here something which isn't a true garment, but it's worn in order to protect your clothes from getting dirty then it is forbidden, but if it's worn to protect yourself, then it's completely mutter. Protecting yourself means to protect yourself from getting wet, to protect yourself from pain. Any sort of personal protection goes under the band of Atsule Gufa, saving one's body, and that's completely mutter. We discussed the examples with the hats, the plastic uh, rain hats that are worn by men on top of the hats. Is that considered something which is there to protect the hat? Is it, does it protect the person? Is it the malbush? Is it not a malbush? And that's the question. If it's there to protect the hat and it's not considered a piece of clothing, then it'll be forbidden to wear it in Shabbos. If it's considered a piece of clothing, then you can wear it irrelevant to what the purpose of wearing it is for. If it's there to protect the body, to stop the rain from penetrating through the hat onto the person, then it'll be fine according to everybody. No problems at all to wear it in Shabbos. Not clear, and the person discussed it at length. The, the, the person do discuss that at length. However, if you wore a plastic bag, which you sometimes find people in desperation wear plastic bags, put the hats into plastic bags and put them on the head, then that according to everybody is also to wear shabbos because it's definitely not a malbush, it's not a clothing, it's a piece of plastic bag. It's um, probably there to protect your hat, not to protect your head. Um, I don't think people go to that length to make themselves look so ridiculous just to protect a little bit of rain from falling on the head. It's probably to protect the, the hat, which costs an absolute fortune. And then to carry that on Shabbos is you're wearing it purely to protect the hat, Atsule Tinef, and that's forbidden. We then moved on, this is the scary bit, we then moved on to discuss whether you're allowed to wear rain hats on Shabbos, <coughs> women's rain hats, that is. And we really just said that, in, in, in truth, there's very little reason to ban wearing a rain hat on Shabbos, because the rain hat has three advantages to it. First of all, it's there to protect the person, not just the, the head covering. It's not there just to protect, to, to protect your head covering, it's there to protect the person. That's mainly what it's there for. It could be a malbush, because it's worn like a, a, a hat of sorts. It could be considered a malbush. And also it protrudes past the head covering, and it goes down the side of the face. It does cover some area of the body as well. And that what the Mishnah Brewer discusses in Sharitzi, and that something, if it's there to, to protect 
Atsulitinov, to protect your clothing, but at the same time it does cover part of your body, that's considered Atsulikufa, that's considered something being worn on the body, and that's fine. The only question was, and this is where we got uh, stuck a little bit last uh, two weeks ago, was um, are we worried that you might come to take it off when it rains stops? And that again depends on if you're under 80 or not, and whether you, whether, was it 60? I've changed, I've changed since then. I've, I've been educated. And uh, whether you, whether it depends on, on how close to, to the, the heights of fashion you keep and, and you don't keep, etc. Really, on a personal level, would, is it something that you're embarrassed to wear in the street or not? If you're embarrassed to wear it, then you can't wear it even when it's raining. If you're not embarrassed to wear it, it's something you'll happily wear even if the rain stops and you walk in the street home with it and you can wear it no problem at all. We don't want time to discuss uh, other examples like gloshes. Can you wear a pair of gloshes on Shabbos? And we again said there's very little reason to say that why you can't. Gloshes are there to help you walk. It's there to protect your feet from getting wet. It also protects your shoes. It could have a, a, a shemalbus to it. It's like a shoe. It's considered a, a, an, an overgarment as a shoe. It's like a coat. There's very little reason to say that gloshes are also on Shabbos, and therefore we have no problem with gloshes. We went through a list of other examples. For instance, um, things that are worn on Shabbos. They're not really worn. They're carried basically on Shabbos by the person, but they're, they're there to protect the person or to help the person, what we would call Atsule Gufa, and therefore they're completely muster. So for instance, orthopedic support in your shoe, a, a, a person who has slightly flat feet and needs an ortho, orthopedic support, you can put that ortho, orthopedic support in the shoe, even though it's not, you're not really wearing it, it does look like you're carrying it, that's fine, because it's there to help the body, to help the person walk. Um, insults, even if it's for comfort, that's Atsuli, that's to save you from pain, from tsar, from discomfort, so that's completely mutter. Heel grips, nursing pads, sanitary pads, slings, anything of those sorts, as we described them in, in two weeks ago in detail, are, are they all articles that are worn to protect the person from becoming, from the person from becoming dirty, from being embarrassed, from being in pain, etc. They're all areas which are there to protect the person, and therefore they are completely mutter. The example of something which we said would be osa would be if a person had a cast on their hand, and they didn't want the cast to get wet, and they put a plastic bag or even a, even a piece of clothing around the arm just to protect it from getting wet, that would be problematic, because there you're not protecting the body at all, you're protecting a covering of the body. So that's called atzulitinif, and atzulitinif would be awesome. We then have gone to discuss wearing shoes which are loose. And Chabot tells us, Shukhanach tells us, one mustn't walk out with shoes which are loose. So for instance, to wear flip-flops or to wear uh, open-backed uh, open slippers which don't quite fit the, the, the foot snugly and there's a chance that by walking in the street they would fall off and you might end up picking them up and carrying them. Anything like that would be also to wear in the street on Shabbos. The, uh, these halakh is relevant for Yom Kippur. When Kippur you have to wear um, non-leather shoes. So people do like to come out with flip-flops or slippers, etc. You have to make sure that they are a type of foot covering that fits snugly on the foot and there's no risk of it falling off. So a proper pair of slippers, though it's a machlekes in the machabah, but we said we can be mako. Um, crocs, if you wear the back up and they fit snugly on your foot, if they're slightly too big for you, the crocs, then you mustn't wear them because as we discussed earlier, uh, an oversized shoe is again forbidden to wear in the street on Shabbos. So anything like that, if it's too loose that there's a risk it might fall off, you mustn't wear it on Shabbos. If it's a, a snug fit, even though there's no laces and it's not tied around like the, the old-fashioned shoes used to be tied, but there's just a slip-on, even if, as long as it's snug, then you can wear it in the Shabbos. Uh, somebody who's lame, we discussed, <coughs> is allowed to walk out with a, a stick on Shabbos, That's, but we're talking about somebody who's completely lame, meaning that they cannot walk without a stick. And since they cannot walk without a stick, we consider the stick like a shoe, we consider it like a third leg, we consider it part of the person, and therefore the person is not carrying, but on the contrary, they are walking out with their three legs in inverted commas and therefore there's no problem of carrying a Shabbos if however the person can walk slightly 
without those, without the sticks. That means internally in the house, they can walk around the house without the stick. It's only when they go outside, they're, they're scared. And because they're scared, they take the stick. That's more problematic. Because there, you don't really need the stick. The stick is not really part of you. It's just there to give you the extra security. That's not considered bottle. We don't, we don't call that subordinate to the, to the person. We consider it a, a, an extra matter, an external article which has been carried, and therefore it could be problematic. But please, as we said two weeks ago, each, so all, all circumstances are different, and we must ask in each case. A walker. A walker will be the same if you cannot walk without it. Uh, to walk out in, on ice, which is, was relevant to, in the last two weeks, to walk out on ice with a stick, if you're somebody who cannot walk on ice, which most of us can't, and a stick would support you, would stabilize you a bit, and therefore allow you to go out of the house with, with a, a stick. So we're talking about a situation where outside you cannot walk, but inside you can walk, because there's no ice inside. That's an enormous machlekas in the past between the Magna Vram and the Taz, etc. Big machlekas. And some say that the Taz says that's okay, because at the end of the day, on the street and on the ice, I can't walk. Without the stick, I can't walk. So then the stick becomes very much subordinate to me and my third leg. Whereas the Magna Vram says, no, at the end of the day, you can walk, so you can't consider the stick as subordinate to you, as part of you, because you can walk inside the house. The fact that outside is icy, that's just a technical problem. And therefore, he forbids you from, wearing, from using a stick outside, and that's how we pask in the halacha in most cases. To, wear, to carry a stick, which is unnecessary for somebody who wants to wear, walk around with a, a walking stick, which is not necessary for them to help them walk, even in an area where there's an Arab, that will be forbidden on Shabbos, because that's considered, as Elusa is considered, de- 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 uh, degrading to Shabbos to walk around with a stick. So people who walk around with uh, sticks to make them look um, slightly aristocratic or anything like that, even if there's an Arab on Shabbos, that would be considered forbidden and it's awesome. Uh, we also learned a rather harsh, seemingly harsh halacha, that a blind person can't walk out with a stick on Shabbos, because a stick for a blind person is not there to help them walk, it's just to make sure there's nothing in the way so they can carry on walking without a stumbling block. So it's not there as an aid to walking, it's there as a, a means of making sure there's nothing in the way. That's not considered an aid, that's not considered part of the person. You can't call that my third leg, and therefore it will be forbidden for a blind person to walk out with a stick on Shabbos. We then discussed if a woman or a man isn't able to walk without a stick, would they be allowed to wheel themselves in a wheelchair? And again, we discussed this, enormous machlekes in the poskim is discussed at length, because there is a difference, a technical difference, between a, a, a person who's walking with a stick to a person who's pushing themselves in a wheelchair. At the end of the day, the stick is aiding the actual walking. It's not a, a, a new means of transport, it's aiding the walking. You are walking with a stick, so then we can consider the stick as very much part of you as your third leg. But if somebody can't walk with, without the stick, and then they decide to go in a wheelchair and push themselves in a wheelchair, true that the wheelchair has helped them get around, but it's not really aiding their walking. So that's a discussion in the Poskim. Would, would that person be allowed to push himself in a wheelchair? Would he not be allowed to push himself in a wheelchair? But as in all these circumstances, all these cases, you must ask uh, every time. And finally, we discussed last week the, uh, briefly the false limb. Somebody has to wear a false limb. Time of Chazal, they didn't allow an, anybody to go out in Shabbos with a false limb because there was a risk that it would fall off and you might come to carry it in Shabbos. But nowadays, the Poskim all right. All of them agree that nowadays the, the false limbs are very well secured and if there's no worry that they will fall off, and therefore one's allowed to wear a false limb if necessary. It shouldn't be necessary on Shabbos. To move on to the new, uh, to a slightly new areas, before we get there, let me just add a couple of halachas, which are still a little bit relevant to the, the area that we discussed in the previous year. The Shukhanach tells us that somebody w- was taken captive and had his feet chained together. Can he walk out with a chain around his feet on Shabbos? So in, in the olden days when you were taken captive, you had 
chains on your feet, so you could still walk. There was a chain in between. You could walk. You couldn't go very far, but you could still walk. Would you be allowed to go out in the streets on Shabbos? And the halacha tells us that you are allowed to, because the chain is considered bottle to the person, and uh, a chain around the, around the feet, like two rings and a chain in between. A chain is considered bottle, is considered part of the person, and not considered carrying. To walk out, however, with stilts on Shabbos, well, it's completely forbidden, because you don't need the stilts, you don't need the, the stilts to help you walk, and therefore to walk out with stilts and Shabbos is carrying, and that would be completely awesome. In fact, the Shufnach says to walk out with a mask on Shabbos is also awesome, because you don't need a mask, and the Shufnach discusses an interesting, uh, I'm, never, I'm not sure what it is, some sort of um, costume that they used to wear, he says the jokers used to wear, the uh, comedians used to wear this, some sort of costume which was shaped like a horse, and they used to have two people going inside it, and they used to go out as a joke on Shabbos, uh, as a joke, and, and uh, cause a little bit of laughter, uh, to wear a thing like that on Shabbos is forbidden in the street. Okay, let's move on to a new area. What we're going to discuss this week, that's really what this year is about, is the, <coughs> what we would call accessories to a garment. Now when we talk about an accessory, we know that you're allowed to wear a garment in Shabbos. That's clear. A malbush, a garment, can be worn in the street in Shabbos, can be carried, in effect, if, you'll be, if it's being worn, on Shabbos, because that's considered a garment. A garment's not considered carrying when it comes to the halachas of Hitzah. Now, accessories to a garment means anything that's on the garment, irrelevant whether it's sewn or not sewn, a button, anything that's not the actual garment, but is connected to the garment, how do we regard that when it comes to Hitzah on Shabbos? Do we say that if it's connected to the garment, well, then you can just walk out with it? Or do we say, no, there's got to be a, an element of criteria which allows accessories of a garment to be worn. Now, in, in the halakha, there's four criteria which would allow an accessory to a garment to be worn in the street on Shabbos. And they go as follows. Something which is there to serve the person, even if it's just an accessory and we'll explain this in a moment, so we'll go through different, a load of different examples which are relevant today as we get through this year. Something which is there to serve the person is considered an accessory which becomes part of the garment and therefore can be worn in the street in Shabbos. Something which is there to serve the purpose of the garment, it's there to, to enhance the use of the garment, is also considered part of, the, part of the baguette. Something which is completely not choshev, has no importance to it at all, then again, one, if it's, if it's uh, joined to the baguette, one will be allowed to go out with it on Shabbos or something which is the norm to be worn in the street as an accessory to a garment, even if it's not serving the person, or it's not, serving the, it's not enhancing the use of the garment, would still be considered mutter to carry it in Shabbos. Anything outside of that framework will be considered osa, even though it's sewn to your garment. And there's some strange cases which one's not allowed to go out with on Shabbos, and we'll discuss them as we go through the examples. So let's just run through those four again. It's got to be either something which is serving the purpose of the, of the person wearing the garment, Enhancing the usage of a garment, and a simple example of that would be a button. Something which enhances the use of the garment. Something which is not khashiv, it's not serving any purpose, not for the person, not for the garment, but it's totally not khashiv, has no importance to it at all, it, nobody cares about it, it's sewn to the garment, nobody cares about it, now you're allowed to go out with that on Shabbos. And finally, something which is the norm, a normal thing to wear, a normal thing to do, if it's part of the baggage, sewn to the baggage, connected to the baggage in some way, and one will be allowed to go out with that on Shabbos. If it doesn't meet any of those four criteria, you don't need all four. Any of those four would be enough of a reason to allow you to use it on Shabbos. If it doesn't have any of those four criteria, it's forbidden to go out with it on Shabbos. So what we'll do is we'll run through a few of the cases that the Shulchan Aruch talks and discusses, and then we'll go through the more practical ones that are very relevant in today's 
Western society. So the Shavuot discusses, in the first cases, in, in the scenes in the time of Chazal, the young girls used to wear dresses which had little bells sewn on them. Like as, a, as a, an accessory to, to enhance the beauty of the, of the, the dress, they would have little bells sewn on them. Of course, the, we're talking about a bell without the, I'm not sure what it's called in English, without the, the who? That's not posh English word. <laughs> Is that what they're called? Uh, without, without the clanger inside. So we're talking about the actual exterior of the belt, the belt, but without the bit that can make some noise, because otherwise it would be a problem of Mashmiya Kona So leaving that aside, they used to wear these bells hanging off, sewn and hanging off their dress. And there's a lot of halachas which the Shulchanach discussed, which are not really relevant today, so I, I didn't bother writing them down to explain them to you. But can a girl go out with these little accessories sewn to their clothing? And the Shulchanach says they can, because it's there to enhance the look of the dress, so therefore it's called serving the person or serving the dress however you want to describe it you can put it in whichever category you like but it's that which is something to serve, to serve the purpose of the person and makes them look better look nicer or enhances the dress makes the dress look nicer and therefore that's completely permitted on Shabbos <coughs> so that would include I suppose any ornament any ornament that's Sewn to a bed, to, to a dress, which enhances the look of the dress, that would it would be permitted to, to go out on Shabbos because of it, it fits into the category, one of those four categories. The, the next thing the Shulchanach discusses is um, a, a little bit more sensitive. In there was many many towns and uh, prior pre-war, it was unfortunately in Germany like that as well, there, where you had to you were forced to wear a certain article or badge or whatever it may be to announce who you are, to say that you are Jewish. Is one allowed to wear that on Shabbos? Is one not allowed to wear that on Shabbos? So here the Shulchanach says that's fine to wear it on Shabbos because since you have to wear it, it becomes part of the clothing. It's considered a part of the clothing. It's the norm for you to wear, so therefore it's considered part of the clothing, therefore you're allowed to go out with it. There's no way that it might fall off because, no way that you might take it off because since the law is that you have to wear it you're definitely not going to take it off. And if it falls off, there's no worry that you're going to pick it up and carry it, because they're talking about a small, flimsy little badge. It was nothing of, of extreme importance. So if it fell off and got dirty, you would leave it there and go home and make yourself another one, or buy another one, or whatever it may be. But there's a, a, a something which is stuck, sewn, or clipped to a, a garment. It's not really part of the garment, but since it fits into those categories, or one of those categories, one's allowed to, one would be allowed to wear it out, go out with it and wear it in Shabbos. The next halacha which is described in, in, in the Paschim is sewing a handkerchief into your pocket. Now, to walk out with a handkerchief in your pocket is carrying, because you're carrying a handkerchief. But if you would sew it to the inside of your pocket, so it's now sewn to your beggar, so logic might say that it's sewn to my garment, it's part of my garment. So I've got a, a, a loose lining inside my pocket. What's wrong with that? Now, it's a very, a very clever way of carrying a handkerchief to shul. You get your wife to sew in a couple of... Um, couple of stitches with your handkerchief in your pocket and then just uh, you have a, a job blowing your nose but <laughs> just a technical problem but at least you've got your handkerchief to shoe. Now <coughs> here the, the gone and the tazz is an, uh, a very big argument in the poskim whether it's mutter or not and the argument is like this the ruler gone says in Shokhanach that it's forbidden to do that. <coughs> because he says it's, it's not the normal way to go out with a with a, with a handkerchief. So you're sewn something in which is not normal. It's sewn, completely sewn to your baguette, but it's not the normal thing to do. Only 
people who take handkerchiefs to Shul and Shabbos might do a thing like that, but it's not the normal thing to do. It's not dark yabikach. It has an element of chashivas to it, a handkerchief. So you can't say that it's not important. You can't give it, you can't say it's an ins- insignificant, you don't, nobody worries about it. Handkerchiefs do have an element of chashivas to it. It's not serving the purpose of the man as it's sewn in, and it's not serving the purpose of the clothing. So it doesn't fit into any of those four categories. So therefore, says the Bilnagon, you can't sew your handkerchief into your pocket of Shabbos. The Taz disagrees, and the Taz says you can, because he says the handkerchief is, is not choshev, it's insignificant. And as long as it's, in, it's insignificant and it's sewn, then you can, you can walk out of there in Shabbos. I suppose it depends on the handkerchief, and on the person, and if you've got a handkerchief which is silk and it's embroidered with your initial in the corner, anything like that would be considered choshev. It's difficult to, to be able to uh, say who's correct and who's not correct, it's beyond us anyway. But probably has very much to do with what type of handkerchief and what we're talking about. So most handkerchiefs that we have nowadays are probably, oh, I do have an element of chashivas to it. Nobody wants to throw away a, a proper cloth silk handkerchief uh, just like that. So to sew it in would be problematic. It's simple as just to take a box of handkerchiefs to shul before Shabbos. <coughs> Another halacha which is discussed in Shulchan Aruch is, uh, uh, the, again, the handkerchief problem. Can you tie the handkerchief to your belt? So you have a belt round you, and you're going to hang off the belt your handkerchief, or you sew it onto your belt, um, you'll tie it with a, a double knot before Shabbos, and then you'll walk to Shul with your handkerchief on your belt. So again, here, the Shulchanach says that would be awesome, because it's not serving any purpose for, for the person, it's not serving any purpose for the clothing, it's Choshev, the handkerchief we're assuming is Choshev, and it's not the normal thing to do. You don't normally tie a handkerchief onto your belt. So therefore it should be completely forbidden. The only way to get around it, says the Shulchan Aruch, is to make the handkerchief serve a purpose. Now if you can get the handkerchief to serve a purpose, then it will be completely mutter. So the advice the Shulchan Aruch gives is to tie the handkerchief as an extension to your belt. So if you imagine in the old days they wore like a string belt or some, a belt without a buckle, a belt which wrapped around, and if you now add your handkerchief that wraps around you another couple of times, that's still considered a belt. It's still serving a, pers- a purpose. As many times as you wrap the belt around your waist, it makes no difference. It's a long belt, which is considered serving a purpose. It's serving, keeping your trousers up, closing your coat together, whatever it may be. It's a belt serving the purpose of man. It's helping the person, serving the man, and therefore it will be considered mutter. So if you can get the belt and tie your handkerchief to it so the belt is now extended, that's completely mutter, because you've now moved it out of the non-category status into one of the categories of serving the purpose of man. We're going to talk about keys in a moment. So, let's talk about keys then. Okay, you brought up the subject. Let's talk about keys. So, if you have a, a key hanging off your belt, hanging off your belt, it serves no purpose. It's just hanging there. It's important. You don't want to lose your key. It's not the normal way to walk around with a key hanging off your belt. Maybe if you had a really nice key ring and it hanged down, that might be normal, but this is not a normal way to, 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 to walk around with your keys. And it's not serving any purpose, or any of the two purposes, not the beggar, not the person, therefore it will be forbidden to have a key on your belt. So again, the only way you can get around that is to make the key serve a purpose. And that's where the Shabbos belt comes into, into play. The idea of the Shabbos belt is that the key becomes either very much part of the belt, it extends the belt, you have a, 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 the, Shabbos, the cheap Shabbos belts which have the two little metal clips which you clip onto the belt, which is a very simple idea, all you're doing is extending the belt. It's very much like tying the handkerchief and extending, you're making your belt a bit longer. So what you've done here is you've made your belt a bit longer. The fact that a little bit of the key hangs off, according to most Foskin, doesn't make any bit of a difference, and that's why, that's what we consider a, a Shabbos belt. It, some belts, some uh, really, you know, upper class Shabbos belts use the key as part of the clasp. So it's part of the clasp, it's uh, holding the belt in place, so it's very much an integral part of the belt, it's serving the purpose of 
being part of the clothing, enhancing the clothing, allowing the clothing to be used as, to function as what it should be functioning as a belt, and therefore it becomes bottled to the clothing and becomes part of the clothing. So you can have a belt, you can have a belt with a key on it, and once, in one situation the key is an insignificant part of the belt, because it's not enlarging the belt, it doesn't enhance the usage of the belt, and therefore we consider it's considered a masoi, and you can have it just a little bit, just a key, we're talking about adding to the belt just a few millimeters, and it's already considered part of the belt, and therefore can be carried on Shabbos. And that's really the basis behind the Shabbos belt that we wear. The only thing you have to be careful about with the Shabbos belt is to make sure that it's worn as a belt. You can't just tie a Shabbos belt around, say you had a, a belt on top of you, and if you tie another belt on top of you that has no, serves no purpose, then you have a problem with the actual belt itself. Is the belt serving purpose? It's not serving a purpose. But if you use a belt to close your coat, to close your jumper, to use it as a tie clip, whatever it may be, well, that would be considered a, a usage, and therefore you can use it on Shabbos. Uh, uh, a belt or a handkerchief? A handkerchief. Well, the question is, what purpose is it serving there? <laughs> if, you're, if you're about 110, I think maybe you can uh, consider the bracelet. I don't think anybody walks around with a bracelet that's made out of handkerchiefs. <laughs> no, you need it as a handkerchief. That's not called serving a purpose. It's got to serve a purpose as it's been worn. So, some people would used to wear it as a scarf because it's serving a purpose of keeping your neck warm. That's the, the logic behind the scarf. If you tell me it can be used as a sweatband, <laughs> because you're about to, to, as you go on your way to shore, you're having a game of tennis, then maybe. <laughs> but uh, but I don't, I don't uh, somehow doubt, uh, Mrs. <laughs> Englard, that you're going to actually play, play a game of tennis walking down Gold's Green Road. <laughs> it depends what the purpose of the belt is. If it's, if, it's, uh, if it's holding your, your coat together or it's decorative or some other, you, you might have problems here because what's the purpose of it? It's, it's not serving any purpose. A belt isn't a piece of clothing. We're going we're to discuss that in a moment. A belt isn't really a piece of clothing. We're going to come to that in later. So are we clear? These are the halachas which are discussed in Shulchan Aruch. <coughs> These are the halachas which the Shulchan Aruch discusses. The handkerchiefs, the keys, etc., the, the, the badges... Uh, those are the halachas on Shulchan Aruch. What we need to do now is try and discuss the things that we are quite used to, as you say, spare buttons, etc., things that we are used to, and fit them into the categories and see which category they fit in, and which ones are mutter, which ones are osa. So let's start with the category that serves uh, 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 the, the purpose of the clothing. It's there, something which is sewn to the clothing, and I'll give you an a, a list of examples, something which is there to serve the purpose of the clothing. It's not part of the clothing. It might be sewn on. The sewn on, as we've seen, does not make it part of the clothing. It allows you, if it fits into one of those four categories, to go out with it in Shabbos. So something like um, belt loops. Now, a belt loop is not a part of, a, of the clothing. It's sewn onto the clothing. It's there to serve a purpose to allow you to hold the belt in place, keep the belt in place, but it's not really part of the clothing. So a belt loop, though, does serve the purpose of holding the belt in place. So therefore it has a purpose of allowing the clothing to function in, in, the, in the normal way. So you're allowed to walk around, walk around with the trousers with a belt loop on it. A hood. A hood. Even if you're not wearing the hood on a coat, it's not really, just because it's zipped to the coat doesn't make it part of the coat. You're allowed to go out with it because it's, it has a function. It has a function to keep your head, your head uh, dry or warm, etc. When it's, when it's raining, when it's necessary. Buttons. Because it serves the purpose of closing your jacket, your coat, whatever it may be. So therefore it's there to allow the, the garment to function in its normal way, therefore it becomes bottled to the garment. Same thing will be with a safety pin, as we discussed earlier a couple of weeks ago. 
a safety pin which is there to join uh, the, the tops of the skirts together, to join a jacket together, a pair of trousers together, etc., is there to enhance the usage of the garment, and therefore it's considered part of the garment and mutter. Couplings is uh, an area which is something which is really not even part of the garment, but since it's worn in the garment and it's never taken off, it's not something you take off in the street, there's no worry that it's going to fall because it's quite well, uh, the design is such that it, sh- it shouldn't just fall off, then no problem, it's there to keep your shirt cuffs together, and therefore it's considered part of the clothing. Some people wear couplings just to make them look nice. Again, that's no different to the belt of the, of the little girls', little girls uh, dresses, and therefore it in, enhances the clothing, and therefore it's mutter on Shabbos. Braces. A pair of braces, as the Americans call them, suspenders. These are things which are, which are there to hold your trousers up. Um, again, uh, you might be embarrassed to wear them, but if you're not embarrassed to wear them, then they are serving a purpose of keeping your trousers where they should be. Belt. A belt is something, again, which isn't really part of the clothing, but because it enhances the use of the, of the, the clothing, the trousers, the coat, or whatever it may be, it's considered part of the clothing, and therefore mutter. Tie clips would go in the same category, or anything like that. So I think we've given you quite a, a broad range of examples, and of course I'm sure each one of you will have some more of your own examples, but as long as they go into the category of where they serve the purpose of the clothing, they, they enhance the function of the clothing, then you're okay. Move on to the next category. Things which are purely decorative. Things which are purely decorative, something which is, doesn't serve any purpose at all, but it's purely decorative, that's there to enhance the beauty of the garment, which is, as we discussed, the case of the uh, bells in the, in the Shulchan Aruch, is, again, considered part of the garment and mutter. So if somebody had a dress with a, with a frill, or, or a decorative button, or ribbons, or anything, of, anything decorative like that, which is not really considered part of the garment, but since it's enhancing the, the, the beauty of the garment, it becomes, um, goes under the banner of an accessory to a garment, an accessory to a garment is considered mutter. Example of things which don't really fit into those two categories, things which don't serve any purpose at all, they're not there to keep the function of the clothing where it should be, it's not there to enhance the beauty of the clothing, it's not serving the function of the person or the clothing at all, but yet it's considered something which is totally not choshev, it has no importance to it, attached to it at all, and therefore even though it's joined to the clothing we would allow you to go out with it, would be For instance, um, I'll jump on them, just find them. Right, would be, for instance, a cleaning tag. If you went to the dry cleaners and they, I'm not sure, they clipped either one of these plastic um, horrible things, that, uh, a label on, or, or they had a safety pin with a label on, and it was inside the garment, not outside. Outside would be more difficult because there's a worry you might want to take it off in the street and carry it. But it was inside the garment, which wouldn't bother you, it doesn't bother you, and it's there. Has no, has no value to it. There's absolutely no reason why you can't keep it down Shabbos. Because it's, sewn to, it's, not, it's, it's connected to the garment, but it ha- it's not serving any function. Not the function of enabling you to use the garment better. It's not serving the per- but the, uh, it's not an adornment or a tachet to the garment at all, but it has no chashivas at all. Something which has no chashivas is considered bottled to the, to the garment, and therefore it's not carrying. So a, a spare button... A spare button, which, has, which is not choshev, could go under this category. A spare button might go under, under, the, under the next category as well. But, uh, for instance, a loose piece of thread. You have a, a, a loose piece of thread coming out of a button, 
it's not chashuv at all, it's serving to the government, it's serving no purpose at all, it's not chashuv, and therefore we don't consider it as carrying, we consider it something which is bottled to the garment. If you had a, a belt loop which was broken, and you had no intention to sew it up again, it didn't bother you, you have no interest in it, you'll be allowed to go out with that in Shabbos. If you had an interest in re-sewing that belt loop, you have a problem, you cannot go out in Shabbos with that garment. So as we will, we'll come back to that in a moment again and explain why. But a belt loop which is torn, half torn, and you have no interest in it, you're managing fine without that belt loop and you don't care, and it doesn't bother you, nobody can see it, so it's considered not choshev, you can then walk out with that clothing with a loose belt loop on Shabbos. Or for instance, the loops on the back of the collar, which are there to hang up your coats, which invariably break after about three days, nobody bothers sewing them up again, very few people do. So if you have no intention to sew them up again, and you've got this loose loop at the back, uh, uh, on the inside of your collar, that's fine, because it's not choshev, and if it's not choshev, it's considered bottled to your garment, and there's no problem, you can go out with it on Shabbos. So there we have an example of things which are not serving any purpose, but because they fit into the category of not choshev, therefore you're allowed to go out with them on Shabbos. Things which are choshev, things which serve no purpose, but yet they are considered dark normal for them to be part of the clothing, even though they serve no purpose, and therefore they are allowed, they are allowed to be carried in Shabbos. An example of those things would be, if I can find them, right, manufacturer's labels. A manufacturer's label, if most, people have, most garments have a label inside of the, with the manufacturer's name on it, it has absolutely no purpose at all. It serves no purpose. It's um, not, got no function not for the garment, not for the person. It might have an element of chashivas to it even because if it's a, a designer label, you want it there. But it's considered, not considered carrying. It's not considered carrying because it's the normal thing to have inside a garment. Something which is normal automatically becomes part of the garment. So we have manufactured labels, um, a sharpness label, any identification label, a spare, a spare button, now a shirt spare button for instance, an uh, ordinary spare button is very normal for clothing to have, for shirts to have a spare button on the inside, perfectly normal, and therefore there's absolutely no problem walking around with a spare button on Shabbos, that type of spare button, because it fits into the category of darker because it's quite a normal thing to do. If it's normal, that's no, there's no problem. Where we do end up with a problem with spare buttons is, what would happen if you had a, a jacket with a very specific button to it? It had, it had a designer button or some sort of a shape which you couldn't find in the shop anywhere else. It was choshev. To be able to replace that would mean to replace all your buttons and that would ruin the whole, the whole outfit. So, so if, you, uh, if you... Can you go out with that spare button on Shabbos? Now, in jackets, it's less common to find. In, in you know, heavy jackets, it's less common to find spare buttons. It, I'm not sure if you can call it dark libekach. You can't say it's serving a purpose because it's just a spare button. You can't say that it's not kosher because you're not going to be able to replace those buttons again. So you really want that button. You don't want to lose it. It, has, it doesn't fit into any of the categories that we've discussed. If it doesn't fit into any of the categories, you therefore will not be allowed to go out with that, with that spare button in the showers. So a shirt spare button is fine. Uh, a normal plain cheap jacket where the buttons are very easy to replace and you don't, give, you don't care about the spare button, that would be fine. But if it's a specific button uh, of, of, of a certain shape, color, design, which you couldn't replace and you needed that button so it has an element of to it, then it doesn't fit into the categories. If it doesn't fit into the categories, you would now have a problem to go out with that on Shabbos. Are we clear? Are we clear? Could you comment on <coughs> jewelry? Is jewelry is, is a, a subject in its own right, and, and we will discuss that in, in the coming shurim, because jewelry is not adorning the clothing at all, it's there to enhance a person. 
the, and really, Mishal Halach in Hansen's person is fine. But jewelry has its own problems, and we will discuss it why we wear jewelry nowadays. It has its own problem in the sense that there's a worry that you might take it off to show you've just bought yourself a nice new gold necklace you, and you get stopped in the street and the woman says to you your friend says to you look at that well, it's a lovely necklace you, the initial reaction might be to take it off and let her have a look at it she wants to see the, the, the design she wants to see the intricate detail etc and really Chazal said anything there's a worry you might take off to show is Osir and Shabbos so that's a separate, a separate issue which we will discuss at length we will get to gloves at the end of the winter we will get there. Gloves is a big machlekes in the poskim. The problem with the gloves is whether you, you, the worry is you might take, take them off to shake hands. There's two days in Shulchan Aruch whether you're allowed to wear gloves or not allowed to wear gloves. And really, if one's desperate, then one can wear them. If one doesn't need to wear them, then one shouldn't wear them. But we will get to there. We will get there, Mitchell. Sure. Uh, could be. Could be because ladies don't take the gloves off to shake hands. Mm. Whereas men do. But uh, we will get there, Mitchell. Sure. It depends very much on your front garden. I'm trying to remember what your front garden looks like. You don't have a wall around it, do you? Not, not, a, not, not a low wall, not a tent bottom wall. Yeah, but I don't remember what the shelter looks like. If that shelter is good enough. Um, I don't remember the thickness of the shelter, and I don't remember the shape. Assuming the shelter, the shelter is not good enough, then what you would have to do is, you would, ideally you should keep it on and open the door. You're welcome in my house whenever that happens. <laughs> <coughs> uh, ideally, that's what you should do. If you can't do that, then take it off, open the door, but don't push the door open, because then you're carrying from the garden, which is a cameraless, because it hasn't got the walls around it, into your front, into your front house, into your house. So open it slightly, pull the key out, put it back on you, and then go back in. Or put a wall around. <laughs> so are we clear? In the examples, are we clear in the examples? So if it's a garment, like you say, a button which is decorative on the front, that's fine. If it's a spare button and it's a garment that normally has it, then it'll be okay. But I don't think usually the, the buttons which are a little bit uh, unique, don't usually, they don't usually have spare buttons sewn inside the garments. They do? All right. Um, you decide if it's usual or not. I can't decide. If it's, uh, okay. Yes. If it's serving the purpose of extending the belt. If it extends the belt, then it's the same as a key. There's no difference. It's the same as a key. So if you were to put loops around, but in a way that it can't fall off, though, like a key, it doesn't, can't fall off. You'd have to tie it around properly, and it was very much part of it, then theoretically there's no difference. You know, there's no hetter in keys. Uh, the hetter is not keys. The hetter is because you have extended your belt. Uh, an example where... Well, another example where this becomes difficult in Shulchan Arach, is more applicable to men than to women, is if your sitch is broke on Shabbos, right? You're wearing a pair of sitches and they got caught in, uh, in, in the shul um, uh, chair uh, seats or in the shul desks or whatever, and you, you made one of your sitches possible. Now, the only reason why you're allowed to walk out on Shabbos with sitches, because at the end of the day, sitches is not clothing you at all. Your beggar, the clothes, the cloth of the sitches, that's what, that's what you're wearing. You're not wearing the actual strings, the actual stitches you're not wearing. 
So the reason why you're allowed to go out with your sits in the Shabbos is because it's serving a purpose. It's serving a purpose of the beggar, meaning the beggar has to have sits on it, and therefore when you have sits, it's serving a purpose, so it becomes bottled to the beggar. This goes into the, one of the first categories, as we discussed earlier. But if one of those sits breaks and becomes possible, you now cannot go out with that beggar on Shabbos, because the other three are not serving a purpose anymore, because you're not fulfilling your mitzvah. So it's not, they're not serving the purpose. If they're not serving the purpose, they don't, they don't become subordinate secondary to the clothing. If they're not second to the clothing, then it's forbidden to wear them on Shabbos. Now, you can't say it's not Hashav, because you're going to go and buy yourself another, some, some more sitzes and go fix that one which is broken. You're not going to change all of them. Why should you change all of them? It's a, it's a job and a half to make sitzes. So what you're going to do is just change one corner. So since the other three you want in order to be able to repair the fourth one, you have no intention of taking the other three off, and therefore it's considered Hashav. You can't call it Dako because you don't walk around with three sitzes on the corner of, of your clothing. You can't say it's serving a purpose, because it's not serving a purpose, because they're possible. Therefore, it would be forbidden. You would have to take your sisters off and go home without them. We discussed very briefly earlier, the hood is considered part of the, the beggar. Something which is there as part of the clothing to serve the purpose of the person or the beggar, even if it's not serving that purpose at that given time, it's considered part of the clothing and therefore it's mutter. So therefore a hood which is not being worn, it's considered part of the clothing, clothing and can be, can be, you can wear it in Shabbos even if you not, you're not actually, don't have the hood over your head. Or a belt. Now a belt, a coat belt, let's talk about coat belt just for a few moments. A coat belt which is sewn to the back of the, um, the coat and you have no intention of tying up at the front, it's fashionable to walk around with it open, or you just don't like tying your belt around, there's again no problem in, in walking out without a shop. It's because it's part of the beggar, it's there to serve the purpose of the clothing, to enhance the usage of the clothing, so that it becomes part of the clothing. If you then walk around with it open, it's absolutely no different to a hood, which is, being, which is connected to your coat and not being actually used. Where there's a controversy in the costume is what would happen if you have a belt of a coat which is not sewn in, but in the loops. Now, lots of poskim are makel even there. They say, since that's a normal way to wear a belt through the loops, it doesn't fall off, the buckle doesn't allow it to fall off, it, it, it doesn't really fall out. The way they're designed is that they stay in there. That's considered the normal way of wearing a belt. We consider that part of the clothing. Nobody takes off the belt in the streets and then walks around with them. That's considered part of the clothing, and therefore, even if it's just looped through your, your coat, there are quite a few poskim who say that even if it's not tied together at the front, you haven't closed your belt, you can walk out with an open belt on Shabbos. There are other possible machmir on there, but again, it depends on how from you want to be, whether you want to be machmir or not. If somebody, you saw somebody in the street walking around with an open belt, just looped through and not sewn, there are many possible who say that's mutter. There's many possible who say that's mutter. It would be the same, would be the same thing, that's part of the shoe. There will be another example of something which is serving there to serve the purpose of the shoe, and even though you're not, it's not actually serving that purpose now, it will be considered okay, and you can, you can walk out with those in Shabbos. I think that's enough examples for one week. Uh, are we, you, any questions, anything, any difficulties? Oh, very good, that was an easy share this week. <laughs> As we move on, we will move on next week, in two weeks' time, to discuss different types of clothing worn in, in different forms and different ways, and we will move on to gloves and many other examples of clothing which is being worn, where there might be an issue of Hotsar on Shabbos. Just to finish off with a very brief Devatayah, the Pasha in Pasha's boy, where the main bulk of the Sedra, besides the carbon Pesach, the main bulk of the Sedra discusses the, the evils of Parai, 
difficult sometimes to think of what we can learn from Pari and what's there for us to take out of the Sedra as a practical means of improving our own, our own Avoida. The Ishonim, Achronim, they all ask a question, a very, a very fundamental question with regards to the punishment of Pari, that if HaKadosh Baruch hardened the heart of Pari, meaning he took away the Bechira, so it seems, from Pari, so why on earth was he punished? It's not fair that Hashem put Pari in the position where he was forced, so to speak, to fulfill the punishment of Klal Yisrael. He was there, he's just the means of HaKadosh Baruch Hu punishing Klal Yisrael, and he took away his Bechira, he hardened his heart. Why on earth was Pari so punished so severely with the Ten Makkas? So many, many Shani, many Achrayim give different, different reasons, different explanations. There's a, an extremely beautiful, beautiful Pshat I saw in one of the Sforim, where he explains like this. He said, if you look in the, uh, in the, what, in the Torah, the Torah describes the hardening of Pari's heart in three different terms. The, initially, the Torah describes the hardening of Pari's heart as Vayechzak Hashem Pari. was Machzik. He hardened the heart of Pari. Then we find HaKadosh was Mekashez Pari. I'm going to make the heart of Pari hard, kosher, from hard and difficult. And we find in this week's Sedra, a new third terminology called Kovid. Kovid really comes from, from heavy. Heavy. Achzik is to strengthen, kosher is to harden, and Achbid is to make it heavy. What he explains as follows. He says, really what happened here is HaKadosh gave Pari three very, very integral midas that a person can use either for the good or for the bad. They are midas, they are <coughs> opportunities that can be used both for the good or perhaps turn for the bad. And Akashmoka said to Pari, I'm going to be machzik and I'm going to be akshay and I'm going to be achbid as slave. You can turn that for the good or for the bad. Achzik means to strengthen. That's, for instance, a person has resolved. He has a determination. I'm resolved. I'm determined to do something. I, I make a new, a new year's resolution. I'm going to do this and this. He has this iron resolve. That's called an achzik, where he has a very strong resolved determination to do something. But that determination, sometimes on its own, won't last very long. He doesn't have the, the ability, the backbone to see it through. His intellect says to him, that's what I want to do. But when it comes to the emotion, the emotion sometimes it overpowers the intellect and doesn't allow that resolution, that resolve, to take fruition. So then we move on to the akshas lay pari. That's where the person has the hardening, the, the, the control over his emotions. He's hardened his emotions in the vertical commas. He's, he's created that backbone that he enables him to fulfill the resolve, this, str- this strong resolve, that he's, this resolution that he's accepted upon himself. But that itself is not the be old and end all. There's a, a stage which is even further. And that's when a person has what we would call tunnel vision, where he's achbid, where the whole body is heavy, is focused only on one thing, on making sure that that resolve, that, that, that resolution is actually kept. Because Baruch gave Parai the ability to climb, climb through those three stages. He was Achzik Le Parai, he was Maksha Le Parai, and he was Hechbid Le Parai. He gave the Parai the ability to make a resolution. He gave Parai the ability to build a backbone to overcome and oversee that resolution. And he gave him the ability to be totally focused on, one, on that resolution and nothing else. Parai had the choice. He could take that resolution, that ability, and use it for the good, or he could use it for the bad. And instead of using it for something good, he turned it into destroying Kalishwal. He used that achzik and the aksha and the anichpadati and the kovit to destroy, to try and destroy Kalishwal. He got to the point where he was so focused and, and, and so tunnel vision about destroying Kalishwal that everything else was insignificant, nothing else had any importance. And total logic, it was completely out the window, purely because his resolution to destroy Kalishwal was so great that he had gone through the stages of achzik 
kosher and hechbid. That's the lesson here, this, this uh, Sefer writes, that we have to learn from Pari. Yes, Pari misused the tremendous gift that Kutch gave him, and that's why he was punished. But each one of us has been given the same gift. We have the ability to make resolutions, we have the ability to build the necessary backbone that's needed to see that resolution to fruition, and we have to turn that resolution into tunnel vision, into total, uh, total, de- total devotion to make sure that we are going to get that resolution through. And that's what our Shem should look like. There should be an achzik as delayed. We should make this resolution that we are going to serve the Yibayin Shalom in the way that we have to. We should be maksha, uh, uh, we've got a hard in our heart, not allow the, the difficulties from the outside to overcome that resolution and destroy our, the, our intellectual decision but rather turn it into an emotional decision as well, be so devoted to the Kudu Ben Shalem that our decision to serve him is pure and solid, and then we should be achved, we should have the ability to focus only on one thing and one thing only, and that's the Ben Shalem. And when it comes to Hilchah Shabbos, as we've seen, the Hilchah saw life gets very difficult, it might seem to get difficult, there's so many things you can do, you can't do, but if we're achtik and we're achshe and we're achved, and we have total one focus on serving the Ben Shalem as we should, then nothing's difficult, everything is on the contrary, it's easy and it's beautiful and it's perfect. And that's the, the, the rocks, and that's the hope that we come out of these halakha shurim, that we realize that what we're trying to do here is not to restrict, but on the contrary, we're trying to beautify Yiddishkeit, beautify our life, and that's really what halakha does, and we'll be zeichah to see the true gilu of the Ben Shalom, and realize how we, our life has really been beautified, whether be it's our girls and heavy, amen or amen.